Hello, friends! Welcome to the Professional Brewers Podcast, hosted by Grunfell Meadery and me, Ricky the Beadmaker. This show is for brewers of all kinds. If you're just looking to get into brewing, you're already a professional brewer, you want to get behind the scenes at your favorite brewery, or you're just brew curious, this is the show for you. On this week's show, our very first episode, we talked to Levon and David from Mill River Brewing in St. Albans, Vermont. They are a father-son team that has a brew pub model that also has distro. There's a lot in this episode about how to navigate that space of brewing with your family, the little hiccups of starting a brewery, keeping a brewery going, and I was lucky enough to catch up with them one day before their sixth anniversary. So without further ado, let's get to David and Levon. Levon and David from Mill River Brewing, thank you so much for being here for the very first episode of our podcast. I picked you guys specifically to join me because your brewing story, especially with a younger and older perspective, someone coming into brewing slightly later, slightly earlier than is normal, the brew pub model, the distro model, you guys have it all. So, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Introduce you. yourselves and tell me just a little bit about who you are, where the brewery is, and what kind of volume you're doing. And also, if one of you could talk a little bit about choosing to have a mixed distribution and brew pub model, that would be great. I'll, I'll introduce myself first. I'm Levon Fitzgerald. Part of the family organization that runs the whole show. Um, I'm the head brewer on top of many other things. I also do <laughs> cellaring and keg cleaning and everything. Um, I've been in commercial brewing for five years now. And yeah, about me, I'm live in St. Almonds. We grew up in, in Franklin County. Um, I have two kids, a wife, a dog, and I like to drink beer, make beer. And amazing parents. Thanks. <laughs> so on that note, uh, I'm David Fitzgerald, uh, Levon's father. Um, started, I'm going to talk about my brewing background. Started with uh, extract brewing with my brother because, well, it was easy. Um, really to get the fundamentals down, uh, you know, both of understanding the, you know, the chemical you know, process as well as understanding the cleaning and what it takes. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about my other background to help with the cleaning process later. Um, and then probably, you know, three years into brewing, two years, three years into brewing, we decided to take an all grains classes. We started messing around with recipes, um, you know, from extract brewing and we were doing a little bit of all grain on our own, but really felt like, um, getting a really i hate to call it a formal education in the process of all grain brewing um we took one you know at the the beer shop in waterbury it was like a six hour course uh in pretty cool you know it it definitely you know built on the the foundation that we had already built with uh extract brewing um and it really led us to you know some you know uh you know cool recipes that we've developed and 
Um, and believe it or not, some of the recipes that we were using then, you know, uh, made its way into the, you know, the commercial side of brewing. Uh, and so, yeah, then um, a couple of years after doing all grain brewing, we had this sort of uh, calendar, if you will, where uh, my brother, you know, had every Monday off. And so once or twice a month, depending on what our schedules could, you know, fit, we would brew. Uh, and probably about six months, eight months into doing that, um, that's when barbecue is really starting to become, you know, popular again, if you will, like in outside of the South. Um, and I started falling in love with, you know, barbecue and smoking meats. And so we would combine those days, um, and sort of make a family friends day where, um, people would join in the afternoon, late afternoon, where we would, you know, celebrate, you know, with beers that we had previously made, as well as, you know, enjoy some, you know, smoked meat and products. And, um, you know, we're a pretty tight family, but doesn't mean we're necessarily smart. <laughs> uh, we, uh, it took us a little while to figure out that we, we actually had a, you know, a working business model. And, uh, you know, then from that, you know, sort of the, the idea of, you know, owning a brew pub started, um, which um, tomorrow it's six years. Um, Mill River Brewing and Barbecue and Smokehouse has, you know, been in business. Well, congratulations and happy birthday. I, I now have to wonder how many people. So for me, it was cheese making, beer brewing, and then it was beer brewing, smoking meats. I uh, have, as I once told someone, um, if you asked me how many smokers I have and I told you that number, you would not say that's a, a reasonable number for one man to own. Um, but yeah, so you guys really fused it up in a way that I used to when I had the restaurant. But what was starting a combined restaurant? And you're a full on restaurant. Yep. Yep. So it's not even just like a normal brew pub where a lot of places in the States, people will get up, you know, a hot dog, a bag of chips. Right. You guys are a full restaurant, wait staff, professional chef working behind the counter. What was that like building out that process? And also, David, I don't want to lose. You have the most important skill as a professional brewer. You do need to tell people what your other profession is. Do and so the uh, one of the reasons why you know going into beer making was one of the things I think is one of the highest qualities of making beer is is understanding the cleaning process and being really really consistent about cleaning and the you know the steps you take and so I work at Ben and Jerry's um, and there's so so many similarities between ice cream making and um, beer making certainly through the CIP process and cleaning process that you know it was a seamless transition in that regards to making beer um you know regardless if it was at the you know the the home brewing level or commercial level you know that consistency and the you know the details around cleaning are super important so um thanks for the you know the segue into that <laughs> um you know and, and, there's other things that we took from Ben and Jerry's too. So some of the values that we have as an organization really sort of stem from my growing up, you know, through Ben and Jerry's and seeing, you know, the impact it has in local communities. So, you know, having social events is really super important to us and, you know, certain, 
you know, organizations that, you know, aim at clean water or taking care of people, you know, uh, that's really important to us. You know, the couple before I forget, you know, friends in the room, Lake Champlain um, and Spectrum, you know, are two that come to mind. You know, we really try to support them. Yeah. And one of the things that I love to say when I have a new intern coming in is it seems glamorous. You get to drink for a living. 90% of what we do is glorified janitorial work. I, the day I got to hang that shingle outside and say professional brewer was mm. a day that I mopped 3,000 mm. square feet by myself. <laughs> um, we have a really, really close friend, Terry Thompson. As well as he's a close friend of yours too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a stainless steel janitor or a squeegee artist. Oh, yeah. No, I uh, cleaning the outside of tanks is something that I think so many people forget about is part of the process because we focus so much on the inside of the tank and making sure that's all clean, sanitized. But watching for spores in the air, it's it's just surface cleaning all the time. So you have the full restaurant. And the brew house and a second restaurant space now? Is that right? Well, people didn't think we were crazy enough to have just one. So we felt like <laughs> we needed to really, you know, put out there that we are full on crazy. And so we ordered, we opened a wood fired pizza restaurant last November. Um, so it's directly adjacent to, you know, the brew house and the barbecue location. Um, actually, where we're, hosting this podcast um with certainly on Levon's and my side is we're sitting outside underneath some uh, sails and enjoying a beautiful day and a beer yeah. oh, and a, beer. And a beautiful beer so it's a big jump to go pro even with cleaning background brewing background i want to talk about in general what helped you make that decision but also my my children were born after the brewery started, but you know, if you've ever gotten mead from us and it's got a you must be 21 or older sticker, it's a good chance my five-year-old stuck that on the box. You know, you find ways of working your kids into the business, but what was it like to go, this is what I want to do? I'm gonna go into one of the the most competitive industries and do it as a family. I know family is super important to you guys. It's super important to us as well. But what was that like? What was that decision like? And also, I'm going to ask it later, so you might as well answer it now. What is it like working as a parent-child team? Um, it's all right. No, it's. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm here every day running the day-to-day operations, so... I mean, obviously, we still hang out and still talk, and we still have family dinner nights on Monday. Um, but we don't, we aren't around each other twenty four seven. So I think it it's a good balance. Um, yes, we butt heads. So does everybody else that is a son and a father and a boss and a employee and a co owner and a yeah, everything. So, uh, I might I. <laughs> It's so to your point, going to go back to family is super important to us. Um, you know, if we if we lose sight of that, then it becomes a problem. But I think that there's, you know, a certain level of uh, trust, a certain level of 
understanding a certain level of, you know, give up control a little bit. You know, I think that I'm certainly speaking from, you know, experience with Levon and I specifically, um, because I was bouncing between the restaurant and the brewery. And, uh, you know, it took a lot of trust from me to Levon. Um, and then certainly, you know, letting up some control. Um, that wasn't, <laughs> it sounds really nice now, but going through it was a little tough. Um, you know, I mean, I think, uh, I've said this for a long time, reflection is probably one of the most powerful tools we have for change. And, you know, it took me a, you know, you know, a second or two to realize that, you know, if we just step out of our own way at times, you know, life can become a little bit easier. And, you know, since that recognition, you know, between Levon and I and me going, yeah, you got this, um, you know, life has become a lot better for us. And what, what used to be your favorite saying, you don't even need me. <laughs> um, you know, which is absolutely true. You know, I, I think it's a compliment, you know, to the level of commitment Levon has, um, and other people that come in and help us, you know, still Terry comes in and helps us once in a while and you know, with Jake and Murray and, you know, the whole host of people that just, you know, swing in and just give us a hand too. So, um, I would say, you know, it was tough at first, you know, Ricky, and I hope you go through this, you know, you know, cause it's having family around is priceless and, mm-hmm. uh, you almost don't, there's times when you don't even need to communicate, things can happen, right? And based on, you know, your familiarity with each other. Um, yeah, it's been super rewarding. And I don't know if I could have scripted it any better. That is so wonderful. I'm married to my CEO. So uh, I totally, totally understand that sometimes you just We'll look at one another and go, you know what? That question I was going to ask you that was super pressing, burning in my mind. I The world was going to catch on fire if I didn't ask you. I'm just not going to ask it right now. I can, I just, it now is not the time. And I think that's something that a lot of people lose is so many people in this world work in really disconnected jobs. They're not shoulder to shoulder on a canning line, you know, losing the building isn't online. It's an ability to have both those layers of communication where you go, actually, I know you don't want to talk about it, but we need to right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So no, that's amazing. And that's been my own experience. When people ask what it's like working with my spouse, part of it's like, like working with any other really competent CEO. She's, you know, when we're at work often, she's just gives me my marching orders, but there's also that, many of my staff members, I've been there at their children's first birthday party. I've, you know, watched their kids when they need to go out for some reason. And uh, I feel like out in rural communities, it eventually all becomes family, whether blood or not. Yeah, we give each other a hug every time we see each other, Ricky. Yeah, that's true. You give great hugs, David. So much. I appreciate so I think, though, you know, there's a learning, you know, that we have to go through. And I'll admit, six years in, Joyce and I still struggle to go on a vacation and not talk about work, you know. And, that was know, actually going to be one of my next questions is you've got a full-time job outside of this. Levon is full-time in the brew house. You're with your family. You have your family dinners. Obviously, Kelly and I struggle with this. 
But before we get into the nuts and bolts, nitty gritty, nerdy details of your brewing operation and all of that, the last thing I want to touch on in that space is how do the two of you hang out on a Monday night and not talk about the brew house? Drink Jameson. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Um, I and also I know you guys are kind of joking, but <laughs> not drinking your own product when you're off work. Like full disclosure, guys, I have Mill River beer in my fridge right now, next to my mead. And when Kelly and I are doing mead business, we drink mead. And when we're off, we drink yeah. Mill River, Fourteenth Star, and Scotch. So. Um, but yeah, so what's that like other than just, you know, switching, switching your drinks? I I think, you know, we don't avoid talking about free together. We try not to loop, you know, we try to do it without Joyce knowing we're talking and not necessarily hiding it. But, you know, we don't want to impede them and, the you know, the goal of ours to, you know, spend, you know, a night with family. But there's sometimes that, you know, we have two or three topics we want to quickly discuss. Just become aligned because honestly like unless we're you know forced to sit down to talk you know like together i'd say it's forced but you know we don't have a lot of time necessarily to do that and for all you know whole host of reasons um you know it's not that we don't want to it just doesn't happen so those those monday nights that i cherish so much with two beautiful granddaughters and beautiful grand uh excuse me beautiful uh daughter-in-law and obviously a beautiful son uh, and my beautiful wife. So those are, you know, there's, unfortunately there's been times we've had to postpone those and it, you know, breaks my heart. And I, you know, I usually have to swing in another night just to see the grandkids, um, you know, going back to the family is definitely my number one priority. Yeah. And I think that's all reason a lot of people listening to this podcast are thinking about it is they're, they don't want to work for someone else. Or they they want to start a brewery. They want to be a pro brewer. There's a lot of flexibility in that space, but you're sort of always on. And having also run a restaurant myself, there's at least the hard start and stop of the cooking day. I also did a lot of smoked meats, so my day was very long. But are you guys seven days a week at the restaurants now? No, both are five days a week. Five days a week. Okay, so we still work seven days. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So, with that logistically managing that space, setting that aside, a lot of people listening to this, they're they're focused on the brewing. I could talk about running a restaurant all day, but that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> Nuts and bolts. Tell me about your brew house. What are you using? Tell me about your fermenters. Your your kettle what volume could you do what volume are you doing and what are your targets there um we have a seven barrel brew house with six 15 barrel fermenters um and five 15 barrel bright tanks and we also have a one barrel pilot bat uh pilot system with one two barrel um unit tank that we mm-hmm. use for pilot hopefully in the next year or so we'll uh add a second one um second two barrel unit tank um because it comes in very handy um so almost 
all brew days are double batch days unless it's a sour or a goza or something like that um, because it's <laughs> almost physically impossible for us to double batch that because it takes four days for one batch. What What's your mix of lagers? Because one of my favorite beers from you guys is a lager, but my actual favorite is an ale. So what's your mix of lagers, sours, ales uh, through your system these days? I would say uh, this time of year right now, we've got a ton of uh, lagers going out between our hello, my name is beer. Um, and then we do a hello, my name is beer infused with jalapeno lime. We're getting ready to start making Oktoberfest in two week and a half, two weeks. Um, we're making a German Pilsner and we've got a smoke Kellis and uh, uh, what else? Uh, Fest beer for our Oktoberfest. And so, yeah, there's quite a few lagers <laughs> being produced right now, but typically it's probably almost 50 50 blend between lagers and ales. Usually I use basically three, three of the six fermenters for lagers and then the other three for ales, whether it's a, a sour, a red ale, a stout porter, whatever in that case. And for such a small brew house, because your footprint is what, what is the actual footprint of your brew house? It's about uh, 48 by 22. Yeah, that's yeah. So the size of a normal garage and you guys got a lot of beer moving through that space. So for those listening in, don't let space be a limiting factor. It is amazing how much beer you guys get through that space. I want to know what it's like to do sours in such a tight space. What is your sanitization look like between a sour and whatever's coming next? Sours aren't too bad. Um, so we use yogurt instead of using um, a bacteria strain. Um, it takes 24 to 48 hours longer, um, to kettle sour. So we do mostly kettle sours. Um, it just, it ties up the kettle. So that's why it takes four days. Got it. So for those who don't know, can you talk a little bit about a kettle sour versus a batch or there are a lot of other terms for it for a, some people call them true Um, sour. Can you talk about the difference? our, Our most popular is we have a sipping something sour um rotating fruited goza series um and yeah it's basically usually i do it on a friday it'll be mashing cool down to 110 degrees bring it up to 190 degrees just to pasteurize any bacteria that could be in the drain or anything um bring it down to 110 degrees and then pitch the yogurt and seal the kettle up put some co2 in there let it sit over the weekend and then monday morning i come in usually between six and seven and uh, start heating it up to a boil and then boil for we boil for an hour some people boil for 15 minutes some people boil for half an hour we boil for an hour um and then add our hops add our salt to make it a true goza mm-hmm. and then we add fruit within a few days, um, depending on the fermentation, but usually within two to three days, we'll add the fruit just to get it at its peak, um, just to make sure if there's any uh, residual sugar in the fruit, depending on the fruit. Some are pasteurized and shouldn't have any <laughs> sugar left, but some are, um, some aren't, I should say. So depending on the fermentation curve, we'll add in within two or three days um, versus 
other sours where they could be barrel aged. You don't kettle in a sour or you don't, sorry, you don't sour in the kettle. You can sour in a barrel or sour mm-hmm. in another. <clears throat> Got it. Yeah. So that's, that's tough. Um, I know a lot of larger breweries, they have a separate vessel. They'll pump over and just let it sit. It's not right. truly in their kettle and bring it back. But having the weekend off is a perfect way to do a kettle sour. I yeah. Frankly, uh, admittedly, had never thought of it doing it that way. And it always just tied up my equipment longer than it should have. How often are you doing those sours? Right now, usually about every two months or so, we'll come out with a, a new batch. We've done uh, nine or ten different uh, flavored ones in the last couple of years. And always trying new new fruits and new recipes. So Fruit, you know, it's really you know to people looking for sours um that's what we've seen we've seen some pretty popular you know fall ones pretty popular summer ones you know we've got a watermelon going right now that's a fantastic beer it really it is. is a fantastic beer i will i will speak to that as a non-interested party yeah <laughs> i i hadn't thought of the fact so we have done straight sours a couple times, just so just honey, water, and then let it sour. We also use wild yeast in all of what we do. But when we pitch something as a sour, we just make sure that there was a fruit as part of that fermentation. I think yep. it matches to people's uh, mindset mm-hmm. that, you know, cranberry is supposed to be sour and it doesn't have that off-putting initial right. reaction. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we we tried we've tried to do that a few times. Uh, that's how we opened up with actually the cranberry tangerine was our very first mm-hmm. um, in the sipping series. And we you know we we didn't know it was going to be a sipping series. To be you know it it, it drew so much um, success. Yeah, we turned it into a series. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a good it's been a good one for us for sure. Brand. So with your mix, ignoring the restaurant income off the food, what's your mix uh, mix between brew pub and your new restaurant and those two versus distribution? You're self-distributing, right? We, but we have a – so we distribute ourselves in three of the counties in Vermont and then, uh, you know, a company out of Barrie, Calmont does the rest of the state for us okay so between the distro whether you do it or it's done by those guys and brew pub what's your volume moving uh liquid volume not not money yeah so we probably brew 30 barrels a week on average and about six of those stay in house so about a third third okay fifth (laughs) <laughs> sorry i was trying to do my math quickly yeah. and so about a fifth stays um in-house and certainly you know that's seasonal as well right right uh and both of your Season. locations have great outside spaces and we're in vermont not florida so you know that's a very limited feature so with that someone coming in the into the industry I I know you make literally five to 10 times more if you pour the pint yourself. But if I'm hearing that 80% of your volume is moving through distribution, how would you advise someone to 
consider those really high value mm -hmm. versus your your higher volume. I mean, I think that you know you you got to throw the business hat on and look at you know what is your what are you what are the margins you're going to make and there's you know for us we think about you know in a in a glass you know in a can in house in a can in our own distribution and then in our can in a can you know not in our distribution and kegs and kegs right and so mm -hmm. um, we you know certainly we sort of prioritize everything in that order as well so we really look at serving in-house first you know whether it's you know in a glass or a can um and then the rest goes out the distribution which as you said it's you know 80 percent um we you know it's it's always a numbers game you know and so you you know everything a lot of things come into play right with that and so as much as we can control our, even our own distribution, we try to control that because basically it's a set price regardless, right? So, you know, you got to pay the labor for, you know, a, a salesperson, mm -hmm. right? You know, those, there's some fixed costs there that take into consideration to try to, you know, at least, you know, net zero that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a game, you know, you're, you're, it's seasonal as well, right? So to that point is that, you know, as much as we can push our own places and, you know, June through, you know, September we do. Um, and then, you know, the rest goes to distribution. I would say yeah. we have a good tip with our distributor who understands our limitations and they're willing to work with us, um, you know, and understand what we're trying to give them and, you know, keep them satisfied. So it's a little bit of a game. Um, I'd say a little bit of a game. It's a little bit of strategy, I should say. And that strategy is about, you know, looking at that margin and making sure that we're being um, good to the business, right? Good back to the business. That's fantastic. So I've got two big questions and I'm okay. going to call on you. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go leave on first, then David on the first question. Okay. What do you wish you had known? before you got into this um good question um i wish i would have had a little more formal education starting um other than just home brewing and then trial and error and learning from the previous brewer um it was a lot of trial and error when i first started and there were some long days and some frustrations and i mean after <laughs> I think it's been about five years now. Um, just kind of taking a step back sometimes and looking at processes and seeing, okay, how can I improve this? Or what 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 can we change on our equipment that can improve the function or the efficiency um, is, is huge. So I wish when I started um, that I had a little more knowledge of commercial brewing <laughs> um, equipment and just a little bit of everything. Um, Cause I kind of I'm not going to say I was thrown into it, but I kind of jumped in head first and <laughs> it was a, a huge change from home brewing to commercial brewing there. A, a lot more automation, but you have to use some of that automation to your advantage. <laughs> mm -hmm. David, what do you wish you would know? 
Oh, sugar. Um, you know, I think that there's, you know, you rely on certain inputs to make decisions going into kind of what an, what I'm going to call an unknown. And I guess I wish I would have validated some of those, you know, instead of, you know, look for a second opinion on certain things. Um, you know, really, it really was all about, you know, the, the whole building and, you know, understanding the impact of the restaurant. Um, you know, there were certain, you know, just to, you know, for anybody who started a business and, you know, dealt with banks and, you know, the SBA, you name it, right. You're, there's a, there's a lot of, um, a lot of numbers crunching and a lot of what they look for validation and what you're proposing. And I just feel like the validation we had wasn't as valid as the bank thought it was, to be honest. Um, so I wish we would have second guessed and really would have, you know, gone into this more with with better information, um, which really, you know, threw us for a loop for a while. And, you know, hence the reason why I'm, you know, I'm still working at Ben and Jerry's, um, you know, it just, you know, and, you know, part of it's having the benefits and, you know, there's there's, you know, a. Uh, but it's also, you know, again, I think, you know, we're six years into it and we're, you know, maybe just realizing some of the, you know, values that were put out in front of us by so, you know, so-called, you know, subject matter experts. And so, um, yeah, I would just, I would have just questioned some of the, you know, information we've been given to make decisions and um, no regrets, um, fully love what we're doing. Uh, and love who we're doing it with and love the way the community has an open arms for Mill River. And that's a perfect segue to the final question, which <laughs> is what resources would you recommend to someone getting into the business who wants to get in the business, who wants to consider getting into the business? I'm going to start with David this time because that's basically what he was just talking about. Yeah, so I think it's sort of, it was a very good segue, and that, you know, to um, question any, you know, so if you're looking at, you know, P&L, you know, projected P&Ls, you know, um, talk to people who are actually doing it, and, you know, try to get, in, and that's tough, we try to, and people didn't, you know, people don't have the time, right, mm-hmm. so we really try, you know, dig into, you know, using our contacts to get information, and you know, some people don't want to share their PL information. And even if it's like, give us a whack at it, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's necessary though, to try to find as many resources in on the resources standpoint as possible. The SBA is great. Um, you know, it's another, you know, wealth of knowledge, but I would, you know, I'd even question that, not question it, but get a second opinion. Just have a like eyes wide open, you know, view of, um, opening either a brewery or a restaurant, or in this case, a brew pub. Everyone coming into this industry can't have their eyes wide open because there are stars in their eyes. Um, <laughs> I had them too. I would have never started if I had had all those resources telling me that it would fail. But here, here we still are. <laughs> but I completely agree. People who can look at you and say no three times, yeah. not yeah. going to work, not going to work not going to work and having that kind of pressure 
early on, you can stand up to it. It just gets exhausting over time. Levon, yeah. your turn. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking of a conversation I had probably about two years ago um, with a, a younger, I mean, I'm 32 years old. He was probably 21 or 22. And he goes, wow, you guys make a lot of beer. You guys must make a ton of money. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we make money. But at the same time, he's like, well, you, you're selling your four packs for like $12.99, $13.99, $14.99, whatever the price may be, and this and that. And uh, I started to break down some of the costs for him. And he's like, oh, wow, there's a lot <laughs> a lot that goes into that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so uh, on, on that note, yeah, it's it's a balance. You've got to know where to save money. You've got to know where to spend money. Sometimes it's it, like my father said, it's, it's good to have multiple opinions and uh, weigh all, all options before jumping in. I don't know if I answered that fully or not. <laughs> no, that was, that was perfect. You're never going to know anything or everything, right. but right. there's a way to strike a balance between jumping yeah. and just standing because I've talked to a number of people over the years who were like, I wish I had just blank. You know, I wish I had just, when I was 28 and I had all the energy, I wish I had just opened that machine shop. All I really want to do is fix cars. And I know a lot of auto mechanics who own their own shops. They're like, what in the name of the gods was I thinking? I should have just stuck with my job installing carburetors. (laughs) <laughs> There's no correct answer there. And it sounds like the two of you have a really good philosophical position on this is where we are now. Yeah. And I think that goal is continue to, you know, grow the brand and grow the, you know, organization because we feel like there's actually, you know, you go back, I think there's a link to helping the community more. You know, so, you know, if there's one thing that sort of warms my heart other than family, it's really, uh, you know, helping nonprofits really do some good things in the community. You know, I don't think we're experts on what we need to fix in our area, um, but there are people that have a good handle on what they can do. So if we can support them, you know, through funds, whether it's beer or food, you know, we certainly, you know, have been doing that. And I think that is a perfect note to end on. That is why I wanted to start with talking with you too. Your focus on your your business. You are so knowledgeable about the numbers, the volumes, all of that stuff. But also for me personally, I'm so installed in my little local community. And most people that start a brewery, that's what they're going to rely on. So thank you both so much for your time. And I can't wait to give you guys a hug when I see you at the farmer's market tomorrow. (laughs) We will see you tomorrow. Thank you, guys. Yep. Cheers. Thank you again to David and Levon from Mill River Brewing. And congratulations, guys, on six years in business. That's a pretty big deal. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to professionalbrewers.com for more amazing content to help you on your professional brewing journey and for exclusive content as well as the opportunity to ask questions of upcoming guests, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash professional brewers podcast. Your support makes this show possible. Thanks for listening to everyone.